0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Some people are good at what they do. Some are enthusiastic about their work. It's exciting and rare to encounter someone with both qualities. Today, we're privileged to talk with a distinguished figure in the world of archaeology who combines both excellence in his field and enthusiasm for it. Professor Aaron Mayer is not only an accomplished archaeologist, but also a captivating storyteller who brings the past to life through his discoveries. He directs the Telesafi Gat Archaeological Project in Israel, teaches biblical and ancient Near Eastern archaeology at Bar-Ilan University, and serves as head of its Institute of Archaeology. Professor Mayer's expertise in biblical archaeology has shed light on ancient civilizations and events. Welcome to the Van Leer Institute series on ideas. Follow us on Spotify and wherever you find your podcasts. I'm Renee Garfinkel, your host, and I'm honored to welcome Aaron Mayer to the show today to share some of the secrets archeology span reveals. Aaron Mayer, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you very much. It's great to be here.
1: First, let me congratulate you on your breakthrough finding that was just published. Tell us about that.
0: Well, um, we uh, published an article in which, um, using um, archaeomagnetic ar- um, or paleomagnetic uh, analyses, that means um, you can measure the um, the direction, intensity, inclination of uh, of the magnetic Earth, which changes over time. And um, if you have materials that were burnt uh, and quickly cooled uh, on a specific event, so it tells you, uh, it retains the, that information uh, from way back. And we've been using this in recent uh, times, both to date, um, um, you know, destruction levels. For example, the destruction wrought by Chazael uh, in around 830 BCE at Gat, i got got to the Philistines where I excavated, as you mentioned. Uh, but it also can uh, and, and tell us information, uh, for example, about uh, the intensity of the fire, the temperature of the fire, um, the types of building materials, etc. And this was what one of the things that was done in this study that was just published. Um, and I would say, from the broader perspective, we also use this these methods to compare the dates of different um, destruction events that are known historically from the land of Israel during um, the Iron Age, uh, you know, more or less what we would call in popular history the First Temple period. For example, um, the destruction of Hazael at Gat, the destruction of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria at Lachish, the destruction of Jerusalem by uh, Nebuchadnezzar the Babylonian, and in each each place and the relevant sites where these destructions uh, occurred, um, the paleomagnetic uh signature of that specific time was um was left and we could retain it you know we could we could define it based on the fines
1: and that confirmed the biblical report
0: of well the it event. um it what it does and and it uh, first of all it shows you which sites you know so for example if I know that God was destroyed by Hazael on eight thirty and there are other sites um, in the region which it have been suggested as perhaps being um, destroyed by Hazael, but we have no historical evidence of this, if the uh, paleomagnetism uh, at Ghat is similar to the paleomagnetism, let's say, of another site um, at Afek, uh, or uh, Tel Zayit, or something like that. So you can say, yes, indeed, um, we can, um, you know, connect between the uh, these destruction events and connect them to the same event. Now, in the case of Gat, um, we've already suggested in the past uh, that the destruction that we excavated is that is the same destruction mentioned in the biblical text in the, the Book of Kings, where it mentions very briefly that Hazael uh, d- uh, captured in, uh, Gat. Um, But I would say this is an additional um, uh, brick in the wall that we have built how to explain this destruction. What's the historical context of the destruction that we've been excavating at God?
1: Fascinating. Uh, In addition to all your extensive professional responsibilities, uh, you have also taught, and maybe still teach, MOOC, a massive open online course on biblical archaeology. Why is it important to you to educate the public about archaeology in general and biblical archaeology in particular?
0: OK, so uh, first of all, um, I'm very much in the opinion of a lot of the teaching um, that is done today, both in universities, but also in uh, in um, elementary and secondary schools um, use methods of teaching which are not necessarily the optimal and not always um, utilizing all the various methods and that we that exist uh, and and not taking into account the um, the very changing uh, attention spans and ways people acquire um knowledge nowadays you know because basically universities have been around since uh, you know since about the 1000 ce and we haven't changed too much so so for example uh in corona um due to the fact that we couldn't meet so we very easily incorporated zoom teaching into our repertoire and i don't think zoom teaching is uh is is the optimal method it's one of the methods that you should incorporate and i think the same thing goes for online teaching methods such as the MOOCs, the massive open online courses where uh, people can um, register for a course on a specific topic um, and the course is built in a way that it's not just the uh of a video of some dodgy professor speaking in a, in a class, you know, the same way he does in a regular class, but all kinds of short uh, sound bites of a few minutes, seven to nine minutes videos, and then all kinds of other things that you, you do. And this enables um, you to teach uh, material on the one hand, at an academic level, and the MOOC that I made on biblical archaeology is a, an undergraduate course at bar University, which bar students can take, but also people from all over the world. And so far, more than 10,000 people from all over the world, and some really unbelievable countries, including countries that have absolutely no relationship with Israel, have taken this course. Um, and it enables them to get a feeling of... Um, what biblical archaeology is today, what's cutting edge, what do we talk about, how we study, etc. Now, I think this is important both for students studying archaeology or related um, topics such as history, biblical studies, ancient Near East, anthropology, etc. It's important for them because it gives them another, um, you know, bit of information related to their fields. Uh, But I think it's also important for the, the general public. But, and that for several reasons. First of all, um, the general public funds archaeology. Uh, what we do is funded uh, by the governments, by public, uh, et cetera, sometimes donations. And I think it's our duty um, to not only keep our finds and our um, expertise, you know, uh, within the, the journals that belong to our profession, but spread them out uh, further as well. That's one thing. Um, the other thing is biblical archaeology is... Um, i would say uh, very often misunderstood in the public um and there's very often this image that biblical archaeologists are out there to either prove or disprove the bible and that's what we do you know and and i think it's important to show that what we're doing is cutting edge archaeology that is study of the uh, material remains of the human past in the in this case in the context of um of the cultures and peoples and periods in which the uh, the Bible was formed and appeared, you know, over in a complex um, manner. So I think it's very, very important um, to show the public um, what we're doing. Now, one of the funny things in archaeology is that uh, for some reason, um, people think that, the public thinks that if uh, if you sit down and read, you know, two articles and two books, you'd become a... Um, an expert in archaeology and I at least uh, at least once a month and just in fact just this morning I get emails from people who um, who have uh, you know come from a completely different field and have obviously read a little about archaeology and come up with these uh, revolution there's what they believe is revolutionary understandings of the past Um, (laughs) most often uh, without any intimate knowledge of the details so they're what they suggest is is baseless Um, and I always find this funny because nobody would write an email to a um, a neurosurgeon. Uh, and say, oh, I read a book about, uh, you know, introduction to neurosurgery. So I, I suggest that you you conduct your your uh, your brain surgery in a different way, or I'll interpret your finds in a different way. For some reason, uh, the public has this feeling that archaeologists, oh, you know, they know something. So I think it's important for archaeologists who are professionals who know what they're doing, who know how to uh, present their finds, to to put it out to the public. So they get a feeling of not only what we do and how we do it and what we find is also the the complexity of the science behind it and why, um, you know, why what we're doing is not just, you know, uh, off the cuff explanation, you know, based on what we feel like uh, uh, should be said, you know, or based on. As, as as sometimes people using archaeology for their political agendas and and modern archaeologists very much try not to be like that
1: well how, and by as the way, public...
0: in addition to that Sorry, yeah, go just, ahead. i'll just add one more thing um in addition to the biblical uh, archaeology MOOC, which has been running for several years now i'm currently working on a mooc on ancient jerusalem uh, which hopefully will be out somewhere in uh, mid to late uh, 2024, and will be a similar, um, uh, you know, type of course. You know, to use the um, the the tools that are available in digital uh, uh, pedagogy to to explain about the history and archaeology of Jerusalem.
1: I'll keep my eyes out for that one. Uh, okay. How has the public perception? And attitude toward archaeology changed during your career? Does mass media or maybe the movies of uh, Harrison Ford and Indiana Jones uh, add or make a problem for it? uh,
0: No, I think, well, first of all, you know, uh, I always, uh, just about all archaeologists tell their students is that uh, on the one hand, what Indiana Jones does in his movie has very little to do with archaeology, with real archaeology, but on the other hand, um he has done a great service to archaeology because he has made people interested in him Uh, you know people are fascinated by it um and in fact many um people started studying archaeology because of the indiana jones movie even though at some point they realized that not not connected but that was a a very good you know starting point um and uh, one of the things that's absolutely obvious is that archaeology fascinates the public and i can see this from several uh boys first of all i have never um you know when people come up to you and say oh what do you do?" and i'll say an archaeologist almost I, I would say almost every single time that some uh, that someone hears an answer say, oh that's a great uh, oh that's a cool top you know field oh i wish <laughs> i could be an archaeologist tell me about that that's one thing the other thing i know is um from um talks with uh, friends who are journalists um Whenever archaeology appears uh, in a newspaper, you know, and and they can measure this on the internet editions, um, it's one of the most read items that day. Uh, The public is very interested in archaeology, Um, and that's why um, I would say there isn't a week in Israel and in other parts of the world, where you don't have on major news outlets um, archaeological uh, 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 articles, you know, a new find, a new understanding, um, uh, etc and and they're and they're very, very minded for this. And I think because of that, um, the public is very open to hear about archaeology. Now that's why it's very important, in my opinion, for the um, the the mainstream, archaeologists who are doing good science who are out there and utilizing the most modern methods uh in their research to have their voice heard in the in the mainstream media because it's very easy for all kinds of um you know marginal or sometimes lunatic voices uh to come out and say oh yes we found I don't know the um um uh, Noah's Ark or uh, you know the where right. you know Moses gave the Ten Commandments and all kinds of things that, could, and and the public eats that up because it's you know it's you know a dog bites a man you know so, you know a man bites, bites a dog instead of a, a dog bites a man, and I think it's very important for the um, for the mainstream archaeologists to be out there one to talk about their finds and the exciting methods that we use to understand the past and really archaeology nowadays. Um, is such an inter and multidisciplinary uh, field in which we utilize the most fascinating aspects of science uh, to understand the past. Whether it's you know uh, paleomagnetism, whether it's DNA, whether it's isotope analysis and and, and paleoclimate studies, all kinds of fascinating um, um, methods. And 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 the public is interested in. It. And so, if, if the public is interested in, it, we should, as archaeologists, feed the public the data. Of real research, and not let the marginal, um, you know, questionable types of uh, conclusions come out there. And I and and I think also when the questionable ones come out, I think it's our job as archaeologists to counter those things. And for example, recently, um, you know, um, um, a supposed uh, uh, inscription on a piece of lead from uh, the the early Iron Age site of Ebal was uh, published, and it was suggested that that's the um, that's the uh, uh the sacrificial altar built by Joshua mentioned in the bible and then there's a curse on it a rural Arur, Arur, you know like uh uh you know some some curse similar to what's written in the bible and and, and me and a bunch of other colleagues looked at this object and said, "Hey, guys, this is not an inscription. There's no inscription here, and it probably this whole thing is a fishing weight, not a, not a not something dramatic and and biblically oriented um, as as they had said." So I think it's also important um, to present your research and also to counter um, um, you know poor poor research, and I think that's that's very very important in general because. I think it's in science in in, in general, if if you let flat earthers um, talk all the time in the media, people will start believing, oh, um, you know, the earth is flat. Now, that's gibberish, but if you don't have a uh, a scientist who can show you why that is foolish and not even worthy of discussion, some people start believing it. So the same thing goes for archaeology.
1: Well, archaeologists not only uh, help us understand the past, uh, they are used now in the present to our great sorrow. Uh, Mm -hmm. Israeli archaeologists have been called to apply their skills in the modern tragedies to talk about how archaeology is helping identify victims of the horrific October 7th Hamas massacre.
0: Okay, so now. Archaeologists, to a large extent, used tools that are very similar to what we would call, you know, uh, crime scene investigators, CSI, Um, uh, because um, both fields are looking for material remains of of people and their activities, um, whether in the far past or in a much uh, more recent past. Um, And uh, we've known for many years that there's a lot of overlap between these two fields. Um, Now, um, archaeologists, for example, have been used in the past, um, to, um, uh, there have been archaeological excavations at, um, Nazi, uh, extermination, uh, camps, you know, uh, they've actually helped find remains of what went on there. Um, um, archaeologists were used, um, to study the remains and find remains of people from the, the 9-11, uh, towers that, uh, when they came down. Um, and also from, um, you know, the mass murderers, for example, in, in the former Yugoslavia. This is something that has been um, that has been done in the past. Here, though, um, after the October 7th massacres, we had a very uh, tragic and uh, unique situation where, um, first of all, there were uh, in several of the kibbutzim um, that were attacked and um, uh people who had been hiding in their houses and hadn't come out um the Hamas terrorists burnt down the houses and the in some cases the um the fires were so um extensive that when uh, these the rooms in these houses the safe rooms were opened up all that remained was um was um, burnt ashes the people had been, you know, the people had been so totally consumed by the fire, um, and so um, in many cases they knew of a certain amount of missing people, um, and they even knew that someone had been in this house. But when they came to the house, there was nobody there. I mean, the, the remains were not there, and right. uh, that's why um, archaeologists for the Israel Antipodes Authority were called in to. Um, to uh excavate the remains in these houses um and and in some cases they actually succeeded in identifying somewhere around 20 um individuals uh, based on teeth and some bones and dna um uh, that remained and that enabled uh, to move people from the status of um you know missing unclear what happened to the status of um, unfortunately killed, but at least the families um, could understand what happened to their loved ones. And the same thing, by the way, happened also. Um, uh, the missing persons unit uh, in the army um, uh, was using um, similar methods in, uh, in the cases of uh, some of the army bases where uh, people, where, um, soldiers had been burnt in, in their in the uh, the places where they were and they and they used, you know, DNA methods to uh, to uh, identify the people. And it's it's really uh, it's horrendous. It's horrendous um, uh, stuff that you see. I you mean, know, I visited some of the, the sites where this was it was, it was done. It was um, it was shocking. It's hard to it's hard to grasp. Um, I I'm in total awe. Of my colleagues who could do this um because it's um, just being there once i'm i'm you know i cry about it when i think about it yeah um, and um it was um you know some way to utilize you know the methods that we have to study the past in a way that can assist um in the in the present in some way you know in this in these horrible tragic circumstances
1: yeah well, let's uh, let's move back to a, a less emotionally wrenching uh, topic. Mm-hmm. Your own particular focus is on the bronze and iron ages. What fascinates you about those time periods, and what what was happening in Israel and the region at the time?
0: Well, um, the bronze and iron age in in, in general is more or less, um, let's say, between. Four thousand or five thousand BCE, somewhere around that, um, till um, about um, uh, you know five hundred BCE. So that's from the um, the beginning of the Bronze Age, which is the beginning of um, uh, village cultures and then urban cultures. Um, and then uh, we go through ups and downs, you know, of uh, city-states and empires controlling the region. Uh, We come to the Iron Age, that's the period of the Israelite and the Judite kingdoms, which are finally, um, um, you know, captured and uh, taken over by the Assyrian Empire and then the Babylonian Empire. And uh, uh, once the Babylonian Empire is over, uh, at the beginning of the Persian period, um, that's when we um, that's more or less the end of the, the Iron Age. So I deal with the, the period, let's say from the first villages or first, um, uh, cities until the end of the Iron Age. Now, what's fascinating about this period is that it's a, uh, on the one hand, it's a period where we start having, um, uh, textual sources that re- relate to this region. It's not a fully, pre- it's not a prehistoric, uh, period in which we don't have any written material, uh, but on the other, we don't have that much. And even uh, the material, the written materials that we have, such as the biblical text, but others, doesn't tell us the whole story. So it's a very interesting. um, An archaeologist studying these periods has, on the one hand, studies the material remains um, and uh, tries to uh, see how they uh, how they interface with the uh, mostly limited um, textual remains that they have. So it's a very interesting, um, um, I would say, exercise in um, in combining. Um, the material remains with the with the at times sparse at times a little more textural remains that's one thing the other thing that i find fascinating uh, about these periods is that um uh, these are periods in which um events and peoples and things that happened are unknown uh, to us in this in, in this or that manner from both the biblical text, but also all kinds of ancient Near Eastern texts, Egyptian, Assyrian, etc. And some of them are part of our very, very basic, um, um, uh, I would say, foundational um, civilization. Uh, you know, in the the West or the Judeo-Christian world, you know, things, stories about the Bible, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of them completely made up, some of them reflecting actual events. So so I mentioned before, um, Nebuchadnezzar or Sennacherib, et cetera. So these are people and events that are mentioned in the Bible. And it's very fascinating to try to compare between what we know and think about these events and what the archaeological uh, remains tell us. Uh, That's one thing. And I think in general, not only specific to these periods, Archaeology, as far as I'm concerned, is going through one of the most uh, fascinating um, revolutions uh, uh, in, in what we're doing. And, and, uh, and I'd like to say that if I compare what I was taught as a student of archaeology in the early 1980s, when I started studying archaeology, and compare it to what me and my colleagues can and are doing Nowadays, in the field of archaeology and the methods that we use and the and the windows that have been opened to interpret the past, I like comparing it. It's sort like of between 19th century medicine and 21st century medicine. We have the the same overall objectives, but our toolbox has expanded um, so broadly that we now can study and 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 get insights on the past on all kinds of things that were simply unavailable you know uh, 20 30 40 50 and of course 100 years ago they simply were beyond uh, beyond their um, you know their their grasp because the, these methods were not uh, there um and and uh, and i mentioned before you know um, this, uh, ancient dna It's not the answer to all our uh, our questions in archaeology, but it definitely opens up a lot of interesting things. Uh, The study of uh, paleomagnetism, um, the study of, uh, for example, the contents of vessels. We now can analyze um, vessels and tell you what was in the vessel. I mean, the the most fascinating thing for me is not too long ago, um, we studied, um, we took some vessels which we suspected had alcoholic beverages in them in the past, and when analyzed it turned out there were still um a small uh, environments within the ceramic matrix of these vessels uh, in which there were um uh remains of the yeast that had originally been used in these vessels for um, the alcoholic beverages in fact it probably was beer we managed to um, identify the yeast regrow them and we even made we even made beer using the same yeast that we found from these ancient vessels. So, I mean, I think these are, you know, it's like, that's, that's almost, you know, like like a Frankenstein story. Uh, But um, it's, it's fascinating. All the methods that we have nowadays that enable us um, to really, you know, delve further into the past. Now the past is never 100% exposed to us. You know, we, we, you know, we, because the past, you know it's only partially uh survives you know in the archaeological remains but nevertheless our understanding of the past has expanded uh substantially and it's a very exciting period you know i don't think there's a a month goes by before without some new method uh usually from the sciences uh, can be shown to be integrated in archaeology and 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 can give us more insights on the past
1: what's it like for you emotionally to uncover something or explain something that no one has seen or known for thousands of years.
0: Well, I uh, listen. Um, yeah, as you said at the beginning, I I really enjoy archaeology and I enjoy doing it and I enjoy explaining about it. Uh, and I think um, one of the uh, one of the fascinating parts of archaeology is with every um, every um, time I you know you stick your trowel into the ground and you turn over the sediments. Uh, something new may appear, and something that can very often be revolutionary. Uh, And as opposed, you know, for for example, you know, biblical scholars, um, save for the discovery of, I don't know, the the Dead Sea Scrolls 50 years ago, or 70 years ago, um, their material is still the the same material. You know, they're studying the same material again and again. Um, They they get insights, they understand it better, but their, their materials have not expanded substantially in archaeology, Every single year, we have new finds which um, help us understand the past better. Sometimes revolutionize us um, our understanding of the past, and it's um, you know there's always something new. There's always something new. You know it's uh, it's um, you know you if if you miss out on uh, what happened in the excavations in the summer, uh, very often you miss out some of the very important finds uh, that came up um, that are relevant to the basic understanding of a certain period, culture, you know, event, etc.
1: Many, many of our listeners might not realize that they can actually get involved in archaeological digs. Why should someone mm-hmm. who is not an archaeologist nor an historian uh, be interested in participating in a dig?
0: Well, um, there's a uh, there's a famous saying that was said by an archaeologist that uh, archaeology is the most fun you can have with your pants on. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, Good line, uh, <laughs> and. Um, uh, And the uh, really, from my experience, you know, um, both as um, when I was a kid, I volunteered at excavations and then, then I participated in excavations. And in the last 30 years that I've been excavating more or less at Telesafi, we've had thousands upon thousands of people who have volunteered to excavate, both from Israel, from all kinds of countries all over the world. And not a single person of the thousands of people who came said, oh, I'm sorry that I came. It was a waste of time. Just about everybody had a, a ball. It's it's both the feeling of discovering the path and there is nothing, you know, if you want to learn about the past, you know, like in m- many things, the best way is to feel it tangibly. And if you can pick up a uh, a shirt, a decorated shirt that's related to the Philistine culture, and you see that as you pick it up, and you can say, "Well, the Philistine culture—that's about uh, the time of—I don't know, the prophets." You know, so if you're if you're familiar with the Bible, that talks to you, and if you're familiar with other things, and and it's it's a it's a tangible connection to the past, which is very very powerful. Uh, that's one thing. The other thing is, so many of uh, of us uh, grow up in um, urban very modernized environments. And, uh, many, uh, don't have the chance to go out into the field into a, um, you know, a non-urban and not even a rural area, you know, sometimes in the middle of the desert or something sort and get a feeling of being out in the, in the field and participating in exciting research. And also this, you very often have a very interesting combination of archeologists and students and volunteers from all over the world, which, which, uh, uh, produce a very, very, very unique camar- camaraderie about what's going on. So I think it's a highly uh, recommended uh, activity for anybody interested in the past. Anybody interested in in seeing how um, uh, modern methods are used to study the past to get a feeling of all the friendship that it, I guess. And you can volunteer whether it's in excavations that are conducted in Israel, but in, but in fact throughout the world, um, uh, archaeologists are very open to have. Um, interested um, non-professionals volunteer and participate in excavations. Some have you know, a very, very structured uh, volunteer programs, such as many excavations in Israel, but some also just accept people and you, know, you can come for a day or a week and work on an excavation and, and get the feeling of what's going on. And it's, and it's, it's a lot of fun.
1: Finally, Aaron, if some of our listeners would like to learn more about archaeology and biblical archaeology, can you recommend some books or other resources?
0: Well, um, uh, first of all, right now I'm writing a, uh, a textbook on the um, archaeology of the land of Israel from the Neolithic period until the, uh, the coming of Alexander. So I hope this will be out in about a year. So um, hopefully that will be one. Um, there are... Um, many many uh, sources I for example um, have a, uh, a blog at um, dot, dot um, uh, but there are many other ones. Um, there's the biblical Archaeology review which is a sort of like a very popular review of what's going on in Israel in archaeology and just about all the um, the excavation projects in Israel have a website where they update on their finds. Uh, the Israel Antiquities Authority have a, has a nice web uh, website. Um, there's there's plenty of resources out there. I think if you Google archaeology Israel, um, anybody will find uh, ten excellent resources uh, on what's going on.
1: Great, great. Thank you. That's that's helpful. I'm sure. Well, this has been a delightful conversation, Aaron. Thanks okay. so much uh, for taking the time to come on the show pleasure. today. My pleasure. And thanks to our researcher. Bela Pasikoff.